0: Hi, everybody. This is Trisha, And I'm Doro. And we are taking a break this week to tend to things like putting up our Christmas tree. And we hope you are doing the same while you listen to this episode. So please enjoy it. It is an encore of one of our favorite conversations. People are yearning for information, having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today's guest on Health Gig is Linda Carter. She's an American actress, a singer. She was crowned Miss World. She's best known for being Wonder Woman. Today, I'm looking forward to talking to Linda about life and love and grief and family and addiction, and we're delighted she's with us today. Linda, welcome to HealthGig.
1: Thank you so much, Doro. It is such a pleasure to be talking with you today on HealthGig. Thank you for the invitation.
0: We'd love to ask all our guests on HealthGig a little bit about their background, a little bit about themselves. You've had a remarkable life and we want to know how you got into show business and a little bit about your upbringing. We know that you started maybe when you were at the age of five.
1: There was a show called the Luke King Ranger show in Arizona and it was live on a Sunday or whatever. And yeah, I got to, I sang I think it was Puff the Magic Dragon or something. <laughs> oh, I don't so remember cute. exactly what it was, but it could have been another. It could have been a nursery rhyme. It could have been anything. But yeah, I was singing. I could. I sang it everything I could, and then I joined a band at fourteen. But you grew up in Arizona, Phoenix. Yeah, little girls that grew a little desert rat. You sneak away in the heat of the day in Arizona. It's true, you do. <laughs> yeah. And so you grew up with a brother? I have a brother and a sister. They live there, still live there in Arizona.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then you joined a band, and did you go to Las Vegas or what happened? I joined
1: a band, and it was a weekend band, and one of them was called Just Us. And one of them, I shifted around and we played everything from pizza parlors to to school dances and that's what I I advanced to a more of a lounge sort of thing with I was the girl singer in the boy band and in these little venues and then more of a rock and roll band on the road and then I left and joined a band on the road for several years until I realized that life was not really a life that was going to lead me where I wanted to go and so... Uh, At that time in 1972, I moved to Los Angeles. I'd saved up my money. I'd saved up money. Can you imagine a 14-year-old girl going out? Who would allow your kid to go out and be a singer in a band?
0: I know. (laughs) We grew up in a different era, didn't we? Because I remember when I was about that age, my parents let me take a train from Beijing to Moscow by myself with my brothers who were not responsible and <laughs> so it was a different time but, but were you the lead singer in the band or did you play an instrument or I played
1: tambourine uh, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and
1: yeah I was the girl singer I was the girl I, really it was just I was just the girl singer and I wanted a lot more than that yeah I quickly became more of the centerpiece of whatever band I I was in, I became the attraction. Because of my age, I was really young and I could sing really well. But it really wasn't the life I envisioned for myself. So I, I moved to try to get some something
0: in LA. You weren't just Miss Arizona. You weren't just Miss America. You were Miss World. When did that factor in? What happened is that after I
1: decided I was going to quit this whole road business, I went back to Arizona and went to a modeling agency and I asked this woman what she thought. She was running the Miss Phoenix portion of this, Miss Arizona portion. And so in about three weeks, I was Miss Phoenix, Miss Arizona. Miss World USA, and then onto the Miss World pageant. That is how that happened in very short periods of time. And what you don't understand is that I was already such an independent woman. Yeah, we were women of the '70s. You know, I graduated in '69, and and so we were women of the '70s and early '70s. And this was <laughs> burn the bra and all of that. Pageants were a little passe. So I was in one a a chaperone, and it was like harking back to the 50s. Yeah, yeah. Kind of having none of that. I, was, I wasn't a very good. Yeah, sorry.
0: yeah. I can't picture you in pageant world because of your <laughs> interests and passions and pursuits, um, because I know you well. and But I think it's interesting you dipped your toe in there. Yeah, we have dipped yeah.
1: our toes, haven't we? What is, what I find so interesting about our friendship is that there's an unsaid thing about living your life, half of your life at least in a fishbowl. And you've lived all of your life that way. And there's a camaraderie there that is really a lot of fun because you never really have to talk about it. It just exists. Right. And there's an amusement about it, a support
0: system that is lovely. I think that's so true because it's a situation where sometimes you don't know who your real friends are. And when you have a common bond like this, I'm more related to people who are in the public eye, but I'm part of that world a little bit. There's a comfort in understanding each other.
1: Yes, there is. Exactly. There's
0: an understanding that is
1: kind of sacred and a beautiful thing. And I appreciate our long friendship.
0: So let's talk about Wonder Woman, of course. We have to touch on that. I think our listeners want to know, how did you land that role? You are amazing in that role. Thank you. You're an iconic figure in our culture. How did that come about? There was an attempt to
1: have his character on television a few years earlier. And on that one, I didn't even get a call back. Then they redid it. And the guy that was producing it had his own ideas. And that was the origin story of how Wonder, how Diana became Wonder Woman. So I fit the bill. I tried out for the part. And I got it. And you have to understand the time there were no women that they felt could carry a show on their own. They just didn't think that they didn't think that we could own it for ourselves. And, of course, I naively just thought, of course I can. <laughs> I would have been on the road. I'd done things myself. I was very confident. Of course I could do it. So we got it. It moved from one network to another network. We ended up doing 60 plus shows. Well, it lasted from about five years altogether, but three full seasons and it has outlasted its intended run. That is astonishing.
0: Yeah. You will forever be an icon and you were ahead of your time. What was the best part of Wonder Woman and what was the worst part of Wonder Woman?
1: I would say the best part of Wonder Woman were the stunts. (laughs) Did you do them all yourself? I did a couple of things. I hung out of a helicopter. Oh,
0: my gosh.
1: In whose world do you ever have an opportunity, except if you are a a water rescue or a rescue fireman or something, to hang out of a helicopter? And I did fights with big guys and got to throw them <laughs> over my shoulder and I got to do punches and guys would go, Ha Yeah. <laughs> they flapped them. But it was a blast. It was so much fun doing fights. One time I flipped Bubba Smith. <laughs> Bubba Smith was a big tackle for one of the big teams. I think it was the LA Rams or the one of them. Anyway, they were guests on the show and hey, yes it yes, just can't imagine how much fun it was it was great i enjoyed embodying the character in a series because you have already known the character and you're always interested in what new thing you can do within the confines of the characters and then i got to do asteria which was in the last wonder Woman. this mysterious new character in the world of dc so i got to create a new one which may or may not be in the third
0: one we'll have to see oh okay that's intriguing
1: and by the way gal Godot is a not only stunning and gifted but she is a wonderful human being oh how nice she is the nicest person she has got a gentle heart and a gentle soul she's just a super person
0: Before she took that role, did you all get together, and how did you get to know her, and did you help her?
1: No, I didn't help her, nor would any actor really do that to another actor. The only thing I did help her with was being Wonder Woman outside of being Wonder Woman. That part of it, I said, you're now, I just want you to know, my friend, that you've now joined me, and I'm grateful. But you will forever have this piece of people's hearts and minds handle it with
0: care. And she but she would. I think that's so wise because in my world, my political world, that people always say to my dad and to my brother, Why don't you get out and say this and that? And my brother and my father would say, We've had our chance. We'll be supportive of any president, but We've had our chance. It's not our time. And so it makes sense that you would have that same response. So Wonder Woman has allowed you to segue into women empowerment. I know you feel strongly about promoting women. And why is that important to you?
1: I think that during our, I don't know, certainly my 40s ish time, it seemed to me that women had forgotten all of this stuff that we had done as activists for women. It felt that way. And then when we looked around, there was just this whole storm of activism that came in a big wave with Me Too and various things. Coming to terms with our role in society and in politics. The one thing about women's empowerment that is very important to me is that it is not about, if this is a word, men's disempowerment, if that is a word. As a matter of fact, when you think about this, you will understand that when the 19th Amendment was passed, it was passed entirely by men. Right. Over the entire country. So let us not forget that they don't have to be feminists for them to be supportive and you know, I'd much rather have them think of themselves as our being champions of feminists than having to right. wear a mantle of even feminism. Right. I think we're perfectly capable of being our own feminists, to be honest with you. I think that we can own feminism and we don't need to have somebody else own it with us. I am a feminist and I <laughs> like my feminist yeah. girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and let them, and my husband, Robert was a champion
0: of feminists, your dad, your brother. We need your support. We can be the feminist. It's so funny because when I was preparing for this interview, I came across a statistic. I'm in Boca Grand, Florida, and I'm reading the book Boca, Boca Beacon, but I read this statistic and it said in all the years of history, tens of thousands of years of history, how much do you think is about women? And the answer is shocking. Mm. You might guess maybe 10% or 5%, but the answer is one half of 1%. Oh my God. I love that women like you who have a platform because of this amazing things you've done, are out there reminding people of the accomplishments of women.
1: I think that all of the pieces and the parts of us are unexplored in history. And that part of that is motherhood. Part of that is in the older times, hearth and home. Right out of necessity, and how integral the center of the family is in communities and how essential and when you subjugate, how angry the populace becomes.
0: Speaking of motherhood and marriage, you're uh, an amazing mom to two children, but you also just lost the love of your life, Robert Altman, and everyone who knew him loved him. Tell us about Robert. Tell us about your love story so that our listeners can know a little bit about that part of your life because that was a big part of your
1: life. I just lost him in February last year. So where I find myself is, it's a strange place where I finally felt safe in my life for the time I was married to him, 37 years. And I don't have that safety any longer. I just don't, it's no longer there. And so when we fell in love, like, oh, we fell in love almost 40 years ago. And um, he was this handsome young lawyer in Washington, D.C. And we met in memphis he was there for uh, a business thing with the president of maybelline coppertone and Sharon plow and he went to a dinner and i sat next to him and <laughs> it was it was boom and he swept me off my feet and i moved to i moved to washington dc and we got married and have two children and it's been as in all marriages I'm not saying that we had a rocky road but the just the adventure of marriage itself what what fortune and misfortune happens for for life and death and this and that just a, a, a myriad of life events that you go through with your children and all they map your life and so the the part of that mapping is no available to me. So I'm trying to map new things. I'm trying to find direction. And so for your listeners, in terms of your health and in terms of you, if you've lost, your listeners have lost someone, and I know you have, and you know what I'm talking about. Grieving is, for me, has become... Allowing it to be when it is instead of trying to stop it. Even in these last moments Mm -hmm. of talking with you, Doro, that the feelings overwhelmed me. And you could hear it in my voice and you can see it. But that's just love talking. Right. (laughs) That's just love. And if I stop that, then I'm also stopping the love I have for this amazing human being that not only built one big giant company but several others as well and raised a gorgeous family and was able to be a a beacon of light and a safe place for me and i can't tell you that I, i think i'm so much a better woman for knowing him and being his wife. I'm just a better person.
0: As far as other people who are also going through the same that you're going through, I think what I hear you saying is just letting the love just come out whenever and not to be ashamed, really. Right. Of letting the emotions flow because that is expression of love. I think it
1: is. What I've found is that if I let myself cry if I am bring Robert up and I'm with friends or whatever I will just tell them let me just get through it and be it and I'm sorry don't be uncomfortable just let it be and then we'll go on with the conversation and I can be okay right but if I try to suppress it it becomes a 90 foot thing so I try to keep it in real size how are how are
0: Jessica and James doing
1: Jessica is Embarking on a wonderful career of songwriting and singing and performing and um, um, law, I guess, just she's remarkable. She practiced law for a while, but decided she, her heart was in music, and that's where she is. And Jamie is, is still with the company my husband created, uh, ZeniMax, but it's sold to Microsoft. And so he's uh, in business and in entrepreneurship and investing and that sort of thing. And he's also a a lawyer and a great legal mind
0: as well. Don't you do some performing with Jessica too? I do. I have not performed since COVID started. I was supposed
1: to do a concert in April and I had to cancel that. And so I'm even looking at the fall. But what I am doing is recording. I just released a new single called Human and Divine, and it's on Spotify and iTunes and wherever anybody gets their music. And it's quite cinematic. I wrote it, the music started with Robert, and then I morphed it into about Wonder Woman and Stephen Diana because I was writing it when I was doing hysteria, the part in Wonder Woman 84. And then this whole thing, as I was recording it, it was really about Robert. And as I was singing it, it was really about Robert because he was sick at the time. And so as I was performing it and perfecting the sound I wanted in it, it became very cinematic. And so it's really about that love. How do you define love? What words would you use to describe love? How How do you say it? it's like a breath it's like a internal thing is love is human and divine so that's what it's about
0: i had the privilege of seeing you in new york for yes, I did. which i i've got i have our picture in my house i loved it did you cancel your performance cuz of covid or you think you'll be back maybe doing some live in the fall
1: it depends on where COVID is in the fall, and I would have to determine that in the summer.
0: Let's see where COVID is.
1: There are a number of factors other than myself. It is getting the band itself safely where I want to go. Is there a new variant? Who does it affect? How does it affect them? All these things and then people in the seats it's all this it's complicated if if i could just go and do it and then just see who shows up it but you're talking about people's health and welfare and i'm
0: yeah proceeding with caution proceeding with caution which makes a lot of sense but what i love about you lena is that you continue to lead this very vibrant life and there are a lot of people who are afraid of getting older and who are afraid of, I'm too old to do that or whatever. And you're a great example to people. I'm assuming your passion is singing. And Yeah, you're right. So you have this great purpose in life to get out and share your talents. And what advice do you give people who are just maybe they're retired or feel like they're old? What advice do you give?
1: I am just like them, to be honest with you. I can isolate, I can procrastinate, mm-hmm. so I have to, and particularly in grief, you know, you just want to curl up, so I am, forced myself to get up, and I've been getting up here in Florida with the dawn and watch the sun rise every morning. Even if I go back to sleep a little bit and then I get up and try to work out or get myself together and do a little something for myself, but then I am trying to do a little work. So what people can do is start a routine in the morning, a routine that you follow, that you start with what time you get up, you start with making your bed. And I find with when you make your bed, it changes how you approach your day because you can't just go back and it's all a big mess and you're going to go turn on a movie. You go into another room or you do, you just do it differently. And you're neat, Nick. You already do, but I'm not. (laughs) 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 I am a very, I go into a hotel room and it explodes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's an accomplishment, so it's, right? It's it's but it is, the first it accomplishment is of the day. The
1: first accomplishment. Just try to get up at the same time and make your bed. And then the next day, try to put something else in front of you that you're going to do as a routine so that it will start to build and you'll find that you're filling your days because i still walk around wondering what i should do
0: so you touched on it a little but what do you do to take care of yourself your mind your body your spirit i know a little bit about your spirit because we sat together at at the national cathedral on thanksgiving day which was lovely tell us a little more what is your exercise routine how do you take care of your nutrition and
1: uh, i am off of all bread and eat a tiny bit of pasta because I just found that I just got off of it because when I start just eating a little bit I put on pounds and I and they're hard to get rid of I'm trying to stay as lean as I can I am the age I am and it's gonna go into odd places and I'm trying to you know drink a, a, like the ginger I drink a lot of stuff with ginger in it uh, it seems to help my joints a lot. And just basically trying to be healthy and not be a
0: slug. (laughs) I just interviewed Dan Buettner from the Blue Zones. And I thought it made so much sense when he talked about we have a tendency, I have a tendency to go to the spin class and go do these heavy, severe workouts. But in the Blue Zones, these places where people live longer and healthier, happier lives, They just do the gentle daily movement all day long. And it just seems to make so much sense. I
1: think that one time when I
0: was in London, I was in in the West End doing Chicago,
1: and I was about a 15-minute walk from the theater. And I would walk as fast as I could to the theater and back twice a day. And that was, well, you walk to and you walk back. So it just doing that in itself, I lost weight. Just that, just that, just because it was separated by time and it it kept my revving up. And so I'm not doing it now, but now that you remind me, I'm on it. I'm in the blue zone, baby.
0: Yeah, let's stay in the blue zone. That's good. So one of the things you've been up front and you've spoken about, and that is the disease of alcoholism. Yes, And there are many people, especially during the pandemic, who are struggling. Mm -hmm. And what can you tell us about your story and how can that help others, do you think?
1: I've been in recovery for 27 years, I think, and I didn't even start drinking until my mid-20s. But the genetic predisposition that I had was so strong that if I... Drank to avoid a tough situation, which is what I did in my, which is what I did in my first marriage. It came up and bit me. It was baffling. I could not understand why I had this compulsion. I felt helpless. I felt I I didn't know how to handle something that I obviously could not handle. How can this possibly be that I cannot Handle something in my adult life that everyone else can. And I certainly can. And so that's what, what the dilemma is. Robert was super supportive. And I went to Ashley in Maryland. And then I ended up being on the board, well, five years later. But in, and I still am active in the recovery field. The thing about not being in recovery or being an addict or an alcoholic. The problem is, is the shame. And that is what keeps people from getting help, is the shame. Because I can honestly say that I drank against my will. It was against my will. It was that it was clearly a compulsion that something my body had adapted to that the only cure was uh, abstinence.
0: How did you get convinced that you needed, because you were in in addiction, how did you get convinced to get into recovery?
1: So I would quit for a year or a year and a half, and then I would just Mm -hmm. want to have something like everybody else, and then until the times in between got shorter. And then what probably felt like a lifetime to Robert was probably about eight months or 10 months, i talking about eight months maybe. Probably felt like a lifetime to him, poor guy. But by the same token, we all do what we need to do for each other and in times of difficulty. I was grateful beyond measure with my friends and the people that knew me when and saw me back then. And there were a lot of other things that were going on at the time, too. Yeah, uh, and it's understandable through stress and shame and fear and all that. It's understandable, but the only one that can do anything about it is the person who, that has the disease. That's the only person. You, nobody else can handle it for them.
0: Oh, I can't believe we're at the end of our conversation. Is there any words of wisdom or anything you want to leave us with? I
1: thank you for your friendship, Doro. I thank Mm -hmm. you for your long friendship. And the words of wisdom are, I guess, keep on trucking.
0: We talk a lot about relationship health. And I think as we get older, we realize how important friendships are. And I would just say that I'm honored to be your friend. And I look forward to giving you a big hug in a few short days.